We're talking about family, and it comes from the wisdom of the Proverbs. Next week, my understanding is Joel. Am I right? You're going to be handling... No? Joel, you're failing in your duties. (laughs) Next week, we're going to be talking about marriage from the book of Proverbs. And so uh, I probably won't handle a lot of that end of the family because I'm sure it'll be dealt with well next Sunday. But uh, keep in mind that there is much to be said in the book of Proverbs about how we should conduct ourselves as a family. All right? There we go. What is a family? According to my friend Daniel Webster, and again, I love his 1828 edition. You can get it online. It's so cool because he puts verses with it, and and it's 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 a pretty good um, pretty good dictionary. So check it out, Webster, Daniel Webster, 1828. What does he say? What is a family? The collective body of persons who live in one house and under one head or manager. A household including parents, children, and servants, and as the case may be, lodgers and boarders. That's what he calls a family. What is a family? Let's take a quick look at it. First off, his definition included this. The collective body of persons who live in one house and under, and I emphasize, one head. Okay? Daddy be the boss. Oh, them's fighting words, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That isn't real popular. But you know what? The Word of God makes it clear that the husband is the head of the home. And as head of the home, he has enormous responsibility. It isn't privilege. It's responsibility. And if that responsibility is not carried out in a God-honoring fashion, the household crumbles. It becomes a serious mess. There's no order. There's no direction. It becomes very, very difficult to pursue a normal life. So let's keep that in mind. One head, a household, including parents and children. And so we're going to focus on children today. Hopefully that uh, won't be too painful for, for you, Pat. You're kind of beyond the age of children, okay? Just I know you still think like a kid. <laughs> she gave me the thumbs up. Yeah. No, it's all it's for all of us, but the special focus is on how we as children respond in a family setting. And also he included servants and I'm sure that several of you here have have servants and so we'll make sure we include them. And then as the case may be lodgers or boarders. The point is there's some structure here. There's some order here. There's an established pattern here. And if we honor God, as the Proverbs tell us to, we're going to find that family is kind of a neat thing. What is family? Well, there's all kinds of different ideas and all kinds of different groups. And it's a wonderful thing that God allows each individual family to be brought together here at Great Adventure to be part of the church family. And we have made it a very, very important part of our ministry here that we be considered a family. I, I hope you recognize that. I hope that the, the fellowship and the prayer and, and the teaching and all of it fits together, especially around the Lord's Supper, all of it fits together in such a way that we are united as one. Should we sing it again? Bah, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. A family.
Scripture also calls it a household. And from Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4, we read, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. What a wonderful promise from God. When there's good sense, when there's wisdom that's applied to family living, it's a blessing to everyone in the house. And we want to keep that in mind as we uh, unfold some of this today. Well, here it comes, kids. I warned you, you should have gone to Sunday school, Jack. (laughs) Children. In chapter 24, he says this. My child, eat honey. (gasps) Did you hear that? Where are all the sugar Nazis here? Moms? (laughs) This is what the Word of God says. Eat honey, for it is good, and the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. Here's the point. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. Okay? If you find it, you will have a bright future, and your hopes will not be cut short. Kids, you hear that? Yeah, mom may regulate your sugar inta- uh, intake, and that's, that's perfectly fine. But you know how sweet it is. You know how good it is. And you enjoy consuming it. Let's think of wisdom in the same terms. Wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you will have a bright future, and your hopes will not be cut short. There's more. In Proverbs 22, verse 15, it says, A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. Oh, but physical discipline will drive it away. We all had interesting childhood, right? We all grew up a little bit crazy. I'm looking over here at Emma Reibling, and yeah, yeah, it was a little crazy, Emma. Yeah, um... But there needs to be some conditioning, some correction that will drive the foolishness out and allow the wisdom to come in. Now that's, kids, that's why mom and dad have some guidelines for you. That's why mom and dad say no once in a while. That's a word that isn't used in families a lot these days, but it's a very important word. It's part of what will drive foolishness out and allow wisdom to come in. Look what he says in in, uh, verse 6 of chapter 22. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, um, you taught in the opening that these were not guarantees, right? How did you put it? They are precepts, not General principles, okay? Not promises, but general principles. In most cases, when the truth of the Proverbs is applied, we'll find that there's reality there, that there's truth there. Doesn't always happen, okay? But generally speaking, when we train up a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Important stuff. Very important. And we want to make sure that we understand what that's all about. And so I'm, I'm going to take a little sidetrack here from Proverbs 
and uh, share some thoughts that I've put together on the whole concept of discipline. Discipline. Give me one word that comes to your mind when I say discipline. What? Disciple. Good. Give me another word. What? I can't hear you. Oh, fathers. Okay. Anybody else? Who? Say it, Jason. That's what I'm looking for. Yes! And that comes to our mind. And, and it, according to Scripture, it's part of the way it should be. Let me talk about those things for just a minute. Let's take a look. I'm sorry, I didn't get that last line up there. Um, let's take a look at this concept of discipline because it has many facets. There's more to it than just a spanking. It's not just punishment, although that's one of its definitions. Let's take a look at what I think is a, a biblical model for discipline. You can argue with that, that's because this is just leverance talking, but when the Word of God speaks, then you better not argue, okay? The first thing is training. We must start here. There's no basis for action without the training. What are we talking about here? If I want my kids to be polite and say thank you when a gift or a kindness has been done to them, I have to train them. And I've heard it many, many times, and I love it. What do you say? Huh? Moms, dads, you done that one? What do you say? That's training. That's training. And it's very important that we do that. We can't expect the foolishness of a child to react in a way that is godly. And so a thankful heart has to be trained. All right? What's the example of Christ? On the Sermon of the Mount, in the Sermon of the Mount, he gave such specific teaching as how to live. And when we go through those chapters, Matthew 5, 6, 7, we find terrific training. It's wonderful guideline for how we should live and how we should interact with one another. And when we live it out, life is good. Training, very, very important. How are you doing on training your children? Grandparents, are you listening? Because we got a lot of you oldies, but goodies. Grandparents, you have an integral part in the training of those young people. All right? Um, I wish my grandchildren were here. I could embarrass them so much, but they, they're skipping church today. Anyway, um, grandparents, we plug into those kids' lives with words of, 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 of encouragement, with genuine uh, expressions of love. Um, we, we are the ones who get to spoil them a little bit. All right? And then we send them home to mom and dad for them to retrain. But we, as, as God-honoring people, can have a powerful influence on our grandchildren. And I hope we'll keep that in mind as part of the whole disciplinary process. Now, it has to be somewhat connected to what the parents' goals and objectives are in their training process, right? Correct? I don't want to run in the opposite direction. My daughter's dog bit a lady a couple weeks ago, and Karen has been worried sick that she's going to have to put this precious little mutt, uh, uh, precious little animal down. And she's been stewing, stewing about, every day the kids say, Mom, you're not gonna, you're not gonna put Ellie down, are you? 
they're worried sick. Mom is sitting, holding on. Well, if she bit one person, she'll bite another. We've got to, we've got to do something about it. Grandpa came up with a solution. He told the kids, don't worry. If mom decides to put Ellie down, Gigi and I'll take her home with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that didn't go over so well. And um, this very thing that I'm trying to communicate here, I have practiced. We can't undercut the discipline of God-honoring parents. Did you catch that? There's a difference. There are people who have no concern for the things of God, and the way they raise their kids, it's despicable. It's devastating. And there, a grandparent probably would have some real wisdom and some real joy in imparting some truth and correction to those grandchildren. Important stuff. Grandparents, just because they moved out of the house, you're not off the hook. All right? We're still training. We're still part of this process. And before God, we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that really pleases Him. The second aspect of discipline, in my mind, first there's training, and then, along with the training, there should be praise and, and positive reinforcement. Um, the example of Christ is this, and I'll read it. I don't know if you can make it out. It says here in Matthew 16, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know what? You need to be able to proclaim and believe that as part of your salvation. Because not only do we have to believe in what he has done, but we also have to believe in who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? Pete, you nailed it! No, it wasn't quite like that. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. A pat on the back. Hey, Peter, wonderful. Thank you for bringing that truth out. Good stuff. And I think that there are several indicators in the Bible that this concept of encouragement is very important. Let me give you one example. Barnabas. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And that must have been a characteristic of his. He must have been the person that went around and, and lifted people up and encouraged them and, and gave them hope. And it's a wonderful ministry. Very important. It's especially important with our kids. Okay? They are getting knocked down and beat up, not just emotionally, but spiritually and sometimes even physically. And we need to be there to support them and encourage them and build them. Mark, you call it something different. What do you call what I'm talking about here? More pokes than strokes? No, more... Okay, that's it. I almost did some false teaching there. (laughs) Nine strokes, that means pat him on the head, say, hey, good job. 
for every one poke. And you're going to have to give some pokes, right? I mean, we're human. We sin. We go astray. We're going to have to be challenged and corrected. How was that used in the military, Mark? Yeah. Okay. I think I think um, Colonel Preston would have been the kind of of military leader that all of us would have enjoyed working under, um, willing to give encouragement and congratulations and help, and once in a while bring somebody in and got to deal deal with this. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. Who are you? Are you a son of encouragement? Do your kids look forward to, to being in your presence because they're getting pats on the heads? What'd you call them? Strokes. They're getting stroke. That doesn't sound right. That's what old people get. Strokes. But anyway, encouragement and praise on a regular basis. Okay? The other thing is, One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, is the gift of encouragement. And there's some of you that have this God-given blessing to make sure that you are building other people up. So important. So much of our society tears down and crushes and beats up. And what we need is for someone to come alongside and encourage us. Now, there are some cautions. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's Mark's statement. Research, you can't read that, can you? Tough. Research shows that it takes 10 positive reinforcements to balance one negative. Church leaders, keep this in mind. This seems to be somewhat of a forgotten practice. We're pretty good at pointing out people's sins. But we need to be there to point out those things that are good in their life, those things that have uh, good report and of value. Uh, I love that portion of Scripture that tells us what we should think on. And those are the kinds of things I think we as church leaders need to be doing for the people in our, in our family. Parents. Parents need to be aware of this with our kids. Betty's, Betty's dad was kind of a grumpy old guy, wasn't he? One of the things that she remembers often is him saying, Get out of the road! I said that once to my kids and she got all over me. (laughs) That hurts to say, Get out of the road. Now he loved her and he provided for her. But he wasn't a very gentle, kind person in that regard. And it's made an impact. Right? She's a mess, folks. Youth workers, we've got a lot of you here. You youth workers need to keep this in mind. Listen, this may be, may very well be the key to winning the heart of that young person that God has given you an opportunity to deal with. Because, as I've said, they're not used to hearing words of praise and affirmation. They, like all of us, love it, maybe even crave it. They certainly need it. And God, I think, would have us be the kind of people that are encouragement to others. And I started to say this before, but we need to be careful. The Scripture warns in many places about false praise, okay? 
false praise, that's, that's hypocrisy. Now that's, that's unethical. And yet sometimes we do it to gain favor, to uh, get an edge on someone else. Please, please, we're not talking about that kind of thing. We have to be very honest about this whole business of praise. And I'm suggesting this, it is the outflow of a loving heart. Listen to what uh, Song of Solomon says, Sol- uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. It's important from a heart of love to be people who praise those around us. So, again, when you deeply love someone, you really have no problem praising or encouraging them. At the same time, you should have no problem with the next next aspect. Okay, so we had training. We had praise and encouragement. Now we come to correction. And this is important because every one of us have gone astray. Where, Where in Scripture does it say something to that effect? Can anybody quote a verse for me? Thank you, Ralph. That's enough right now. (laughs) We've all gone astray. That's right. We've all gone astray. And from time to time, we're going to need correction. I love watching a little kid who's just learning how to walk being corrected by a parent. Okay? Here it comes. I'm going toward the street. You know? What does Dad do? Dad goes... (whistles) Kind of blocks the path and aims him in this direction. And then he starts going off here. Get around there. Block the path. Correction. We all need it. And when it comes our way, young people, we need to be grateful for it. We need to appreciate it because what it is, what is happening here is that this is training to become more godly in areas where we've gotten off the path. All right. The example of Christ. He was on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow to heart, of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Gentle, kind, loving correction absolutely essential in the whole concept of discipline of our kids. And again, it's that humble, gentle correction. And then, and well, okay, I'll go to the next. Because sometimes correction isn't enough. Sometimes there actually has to be a rebuke, a firm challenge with a tone of harshness. What was the example? Well, at the same time Peter was being praised for recognizing who the Lord Jesus was, a little bit later, he had to be rebuked. 
Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and to be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Now, understand, this was the third time that Jesus had done the teaching about his death, burial, and resurrection to these disciples. The third time. And still, even after a third time, uh, the third time, Peter is saying, Oh, no, no, that's not true, Lord. Let me straighten you out here. Come on. Sometimes we need a little rebuke. Sometimes we need a big rebuke. Okay? This was the third time he had given training about his death. Peter refused to believe him and failed to respond in a proper manner. Hence, the rebuke. Okay. Quick review. Training. Right? Praise. Correction, rebuke, anything left? Yeah. The whole concept of punishment, this is Jason's favorite part of the whole thing, right? Give him the spanking. Inflicting a painful reminder of the wrong done for the sole purpose of bringing them to restoration. Several important elements there, all right? When punishment is involved, number one, the child needs to understand what it is for which they're being punished. All right? They have to be abundantly clear. Otherwise, it looks like dad's just being a bully or mom's just just picking on them. No, we have to point out what's going on. And I don't know if your mother did this, but mine. Now, Keith, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. Uh, yeah, my, I like to trade with you something. Anyway, um, <laughs> the sole purpose is not to vent your anger, not to show who's boss. What's the sole purpose? I want my child to be corrected. I want them to walk in the right path. And so if I have to go to this extreme and actually punish them, then I want to make sure that it's to bring them back for restoration. What's the example of Christ? Peter denied, Luke twenty-two sixty, But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. To that, uh, was it a woman at the fire? Third time he had done that. Immediately while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. Now here's the punishment. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What was that look all about? I, I don't know exactly how it looked, but I can picture my dad giving me what we kids would call the look. You ever get the look? Hmm? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, kiddo? Something's going wrong, and what does dad do? Dad goes... Kind of over the top of his glasses, you know, and kind of... Ooh. You say, well, that's not much of a punishment. Well, what did it do for Peter? 
Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And that look from his very Savior broke his heart, brought him to a point of repentance. We need to give the look. Now, Proverbs is clear that sometimes the look is a little switch, a little stiff branch. Johnny, got any ideas what I'm talking about here? Were you ever told, go get the spoon? Huh? Never? That's what's wrong with you, man. (laughs) Yeah. Mom would use a hairbrush. It was, it was interesting. But I got the message. Okay? Except one time, I gotta tell you this. So you don't like my mom. Alright? She was brushing my hair and I was doing the typical key thing. You know, she said, hold still. This is me. You know, Mr. Hyper. She took the brush and whacked me with the bristles on the back of my neck. What kind of a mother was she? Well, normally she was pretty good. I got the message. Hold still. All right? But the Bible talks many times about the correction that's needed in the form of punishment. And when it comes, we need to be thankful. Did you hear that? Be thankful. Why? Because Scripture says you are sparing your child from some terrible things by directing them in the right path. Let's keep that in mind. I have to hurry on. I hope you'll keep those aspects of discipline in mind as we move forward. Now it gets difficult, okay? What does Proverbs have to say to young men and women? Let me read some from Proverbs 4, please. Proverbs 4. You may want to turn there. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Proverbs 4, verse 1. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. For I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instruction. For I, too, was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, take my words to heart. Follow my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. This is what we want from our children. To be young men and women who are able to know the difference between good and evil, to know what's different between right and wrong, and to choose the good, to choose what's right. And when we see that happen as parents, we are absolutely delighted. Fantastic stuff. Breaks our heart when it goes the other way. Brings us to our knees. So children, you have an option here. You can bring peace and joy to your parents' hearts, or you can bring them grief and sorrow and pain. What's it going to be? Let me keep reading. Go down to verse 20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they 
bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Powerful, powerful message. Important stuff. Wonderful stuff. Beautiful stuff. And then we come to Proverbs 5. Ooh. And Proverbs 5 gets a little dicey. All right? So if you're easily embarrassed, turn off your hearing aid because we're going to go forward here with some pretty hardcore stuff. All right? From Proverbs 5. My son... Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail... And doesn't realize it. Now, if this were the only portion in Proverbs that spoke to that issue, we could maybe just kind of slide past it and say, well, that's a little embarrassing. We're not going to talk about that. But as you read through Proverbs over and over again, you find that there are warnings to the young men about how they deal with the person of the opposite sex. Okay? Verse 18 says, Let your wife be a fount of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, I'll pick on Johnny again. Johnny, what's your wife's name? No idea. But she's out there. You're a, you're a hot item. Okay? You're much in demand. And when you find her, realize what an incredible blessing she is. But also know that there are other women out there, guys, who could care less about your welfare. All right? Be so careful about temptations, especially those of a sexual nature. Proverbs 5, 1 through 17, you can read it. I won't go into the whole thing. But they give a very, very strong warning. I'll start at 18 again. Let your wife be a fount of blessing. You rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. There are two sets of breasts. Breasts, not breath. Two sets of breasts. Can I talk about this in church? Well, Solomon did. Two sets of breasts, young men, that you have the privilege and the blessing of appreciating. Okay? The first two gave you nourishment and health from the day you were born. Now, not all kids are breastfed anymore, but that's the idea. Breastfeeding. A wonderful bond between child and mother. A source of life for that child. And young men, those breasts are a source of life for you. Fantastic. And you need to honor the person who fed you for all those days as you were growing up. 
One of the things that breaks my heart is they told me in, on October 7th when Hamas went into Israel, sometimes they would kill the mother and snatch the child. And that child is dead now because it hasn't had the nourishment it needs because his mother's breasts were not available to him. Young men, appreciate. It's probably been a few days since you nursed. But appreciate that woman for what she's done for you. I encourage Betty to breastfeed our kids as long as she possibly could. We kind of found what the break point was one time when KT came walking up to her and said in public, Mom? Nurse? That was the end of it, wasn't it, honey? Yeah. No more. Okay. That might have gone a little too far. Linda, you probably wouldn't agree with that. No. I know Linda's uh, training in that area. Hey, beautiful, beautiful. The child-mother relationship and the nursing that she allows him. I said there were two sets. What's the other set? Your wife. Your wife. Josh, you have a wife. Praise God. All right? Her breasts are legitimate for him. Okay? Not for me, not for any other man here, but for him. That's not leverance making it up. That's not being a dirty old man. That's what the Word of God says. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you be always captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? Now, he's talking about some things here that hit pretty close to home. Okay? I think he's talking about pornography, although it probably wasn't too available in those days. The problem is it's abundantly available today. And both young men and young women are being devastated, devastated, as they become addicted to that very kind of thing. I'm begging you, if he already has a grip on you, get some help. Talk to one of the elders. Get some help, guys. There's a way out. God can reestablish and bless you, but it will destroy you and it will destroy your marriage. There's no place for it among the people of God. Hmm. Please be careful. Proverbs five, eighteen through 23 is what we read. And I would ask you, to consider the wisdom that's given there regarding appropriate conduct. Young women, you've probably heard the song, Mommies, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Here's my song. Mommies, don't let your daughters grow up to be promiscuous women. I asked Betty for permission. I said, can I put this up in church? She said, you're stupid. (laughs) Mommies, don't let your daughters grow up to be promiscuous women. Like, you have something to do about it? Absolutely, Mom. There's things that you need to do to safeguard those, those precious little girls, to even protect them 
from what's out there. Young women, please, please, please be careful what you wear. Okay? If your breasts are to be reserved for your husband, then you shouldn't be displaying them or portions thereof to every man that walks by. And let me tell you, you will be observed. Okay? There isn't a man here that doesn't know what I'm talking about. And men, our responsibility is to bounce our eyes as qu- away as quickly as possible. Those, um, those skin-tight pants. Oh, now you're treading, you're meddling, big guy. You're, you're just messing around here. But you know what? I meet with a bunch of older guys, and occasionally they say, what's one of the problems you have? The problem is looking at the posterior of a young woman carved out in great detail because she's wearing those slim, tight, skin-tight pants. Oh, leverance, I can't believe you're saying that. I was walking in Walmart the other day, and I looked ahead, and here comes a girl in some of those skin-tight pants, and they were flesh-colored. I had to quickly go start looking at Christmas cards. Come on, girls. For your own safety, for your own sake, and for your own spiritual development, be careful what you wear. Be careful how you act. Guys like flirty young girls. They like that. Okay? But flirtation is not the way to develop a good relationship. It's dangerous. It can make people think that you have things to offer that you're not willing to offer. Please, please, please. My baby girls, be careful how you act. Be careful how you talk. Those words, in fact, Proverbs says it, the words that come out of this promiscuous woman's mouth, they're like, they're like syrup, they're like honey, they're so sweet, but they're devastating, they're deadly, they're poison. Here's the point. Godliness, young ladies, is your goal, not worldliness, okay? Let me read Ephesians 5 for you. For husbands... This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Why? Verse 26. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In that same portion of Scripture... Paul writes that he is talking, yes, about Christ and his church, but it applies to men and women today. Young ladies, godliness is the goal, not worldliness. You're going to be a little weird. You're going to be a little bit of an outcast. You're going to be a little unpopular. But the God of the universe is watching. We read that. The Lord sees clearly what a man slash woman does, examining every path he, she takes. And his heart is blessed when you choose godliness. He is glorified, which is our purpose in life, when you choose holiness. Please, please, please be careful. How do we accomplish it? Well, we talked about this last week. 
We need to be those who walk in the Spirit. Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your, your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. He asks us to produce much fruit. John fifteen eight. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings glory, great glory, to my Father. Galatians five, twenty two and twenty three. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There's no law against these things. Now, like I said, I'm out of time, way out of time. And so I'm not going to try and address husbands and wives. That's next week. Please come back. Not if you're a preacher. I mean, um, <laughs> let me say this. Let me, let me just quickly close with Matthew 11. Verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Husbands, wives, take that yoke, that yoke of humility, the yoke of gentleness the yoke of fidelity, and it goes on and on. That that brings glory to God and brings peace in the church. Father, take these words and make them real. Like I said earlier, God, help them to forget anything that wasn't from you. Help them to practice those things that come directly from your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.